Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we're going to be opening up the Salt and Light Treasure Vault and pulling out some of our best and favorite conversations from the fall of 2019. We begin by speaking with Jesuit Father Peter Bisson, who explains why we needed a synod on the Amazon in October 2019. And then we reconnect with Marie Miller, who tells us about her new album, Little Dreams. In our second half hour, we speak with the vocation lady, Rhonda Gruenwald, who tells us how to have a vocation-minded parish. And at the end of the program, we have a featured chat with John Michael Talbot, who tells us all about his new school for spirituality. We begin now with the Synod on the Amazon. In 2017, Pope Francis announced that, the, that a synod of bishops would take place in October 2019, and it would be a special assembly looking to the Amazon region. And if, if you've been paying attention to the church in the last couple of years, you certainly have heard about synods. And I'm not going to explain synods at this point, but in short, a synod is a meeting or assembly of bishops who gather to speak about a certain topic. And the one taking place this month is a special assembly because it does not involve bishops from all over the world, but rather those from a particular region, that region being the Amazon region in South America. And to tell us more, I'm joined now by Father Peter Bisson. He's a assistant for indigenous relations to the Jesuit provincial for the province of Canada, the Jesuit province of Canada. Father Peter, he joins us from Calgary. Peter, uh, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you very much, Pedro. Good it, to be here. It's great to have you here, actually. Good excuse to get you on the program. Um, we've had synods on the Word of God, synods on the Eucharist, synods on the family and the young people. Um, why Why is there a synod on the Amazon? Well, there are a, a number of reasons. The, the Amazon is kind of a microcosm of what's happening on the planet okay. about ecology and our common home. Okay. Um, so as, as, but, but it isn't simply about ecology, because it's also about Indigenous people uh-huh. and how Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people can live together uh, well and responsibly while together taking care of the Earth and living with the Earth in an important way. So the Synod on the Amazon, uh, or at least from my, I, I see it as kind of a, uh, a a trial, if you will, of implementing Laudato Si, the Pope's encyclical Laudato Si. On ecology. Both, well, it's not just about ecology, yeah. it's about social matters yes, it, and yeah. ecology. No, human so, ecology as well, yes. Yes, that's right. So yes. how to how to incorporate our relationship with creation into our relationship with God and one another. Yeah. That's a bit of a new thing yes. for Christian thought in the last 500 years, mm-hmm. um, but it's something that Indigenous people do uh, quite instinctively. Uh, so we okay. have a, a lot to learn there. Huh, that's interesting because I, I, uh, you've you've made me want to ask you another question about how much we have to learn from indigenous peoples. But but first, I wanted to say, um, if you, we look at the work, so every synod has a working document. And correct me if I'm wrong, but if I look at this working document, a lot of it has to do with evangelization of the people of the Amazons. How much of the right. the synod will have to do with how the church? evangelizes this region, which is, I mean, it's the people who live there are very isolated. 
primitive, if I can use that word. I don't mean it dis- disrespectfully, but but primitive. Um, uh, is that a huge part of, of the concern of the church has in terms of reaching these people? Well, the fact that you say primitive, I know you're not trying to be critical, uh, I think is part of what the part of what the Pope wants to address. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think if he were talking to you in, in private right now, he'd probably suggest that you're using ideological colonialism. Uh-huh. That's actually a phrase that he used in his opening, his talk for the uh, first working session of the Synod hmm. on Monday. Okay. Uh, so where we uh, tend not to see Indigenous people as equals, uh-huh. as people who need our help. When in fact they're right. quite sophisticated in their ways, um, and and whether they're Christian or traditionalist, their way of being Christian or traditional has a lot to show us about the gospel and about Jesus that uh-huh. we haven't yet entirely grasped. Interesting. So that goes back to what I guess my the question that you made me think of about learning from them. That what we can learn from them is you're saying is more than just how to relate to the whole of creation. That's right. And Pope John Paul, when he was in Canada, he said that Christ in his people is Indian. Now, I think there are other things Hmm. that we can learn that we haven't recognized. Um, So how 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 to put creation creation is part of our relationship with God, mm-hmm. but also um, we see in Canada everything Indigenous people do, they do from a spiritual point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've seen this a lot in the reconciliation work and the work of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Mm-hmm. So they are allies with uh, the Christian Church in trying to promote spirituality and spiritual ways of doing things in Canada. We haven't really recognized that. Indigenous people are much more comfortable about being spiritual in public than uh, than we are. Uh-huh. So that's another thing that yeah. we can learn. Interesting. Yeah. So, and then we, as, as the Pope wants, in, uh, especially in the part on the Church and evangelization mm-hmm. in the working document, he basically wants the Church to to decolonize our ways of thinking and our ways of thinking and living the faith. Okay. So just the simple fact that you used the word primitive there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. I would provoke the Pope uh, a little bit. Yeah. And certainly would provoke Indigenous people. You're right. And, and, and uh, uh, yeah, thank you for, for, for calling me on that. And, I, I mean, I, I just didn't know what other word to use, and maybe that's part of the, that's part of the problem. How um, we, we live here in Canada. You're in Calgary right now. I'm in Toronto. Um, very different church than the Church of South America. Uh, the landscape here in the north of Canada is very different than the landscape in the Amazon region, but there are some mm-hmm. parallels. Why would you say that Canadian, the Canadian church is interested in some of the topics that are being addressed at this synod? Oh, yeah, that, there are parallels indeed. So um, the, 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 Amazon, the Amazon basin is being profoundly affected by climate change, hmm. but the Arctic, is being even more affected by climate change. Really? And uh, so the, the Arctic is the part of the world or the biome 
mm-hmm. biological area of the world that is being most affected by climate change, hmm. and the Amazon is the second. The Amazon wow. is bigger. Right. And secondly, the boreal forest, uh-huh. uh, which is in, it goes around the planet, Russia, Alaska, Canada, mm-hmm. parts of Scandinavia, is the largest forest in the world. It doesn't have the ecological impact on the planet that the Amazon basin has, but it is the largest forest in the world. Okay. And about 60%, it covers about 55% of Canada, mm-hmm. and about 60% of Indigenous communities live in the boreal zone of Canada, uh-huh. and that is where a lot of extraction activities are, are happening and will continue to happen for the next century. Okay. Mining, Mining. Uh, oil, logging, mm-hmm. things like that, hydroelectric projects. Yes. Um, and so the same issues, perhaps, or, or quite similar issues, as are damaging the Amazon rainforest and indigenous people there mm-hmm. are happening here as well. So there's much that the church can learn. And, and in Canada, unlike in the in the Amazon, the church is very, very involved mm-hmm. in uh, these issues with together with indigenous people. There's a network called the I'm translating from Spanish in my head now mm-hmm. the uh, Ecclesial network for um, the Amazon yes. region. Yes. So in in Canada, as far as I know, there is little and maybe no church involvement in um, indigenous efforts to be advocates for the boreal or the Arctic. Hmm. And if we could get involved um, and help, um, then it could be a new beginning for. Uh, good relations between the church and indigenous peoples in Canada. Hmm, so these are some of the hopes that I have for the synod on the Amazon yeah. for Canada. Wow. Okay. I'm gonna we're gonna leave it there, Peter. Um, but thank you because I was gonna ask you to tell me what your hopes, but you just did. Um, certainly has you've opened my eyes. I hope you've opened our listeners' eyes a little bit to how we can uh, approach the topics that are being addressed. Um, that we can learn not just from what's happening in the Synod, but learning from the people who live in that region. And maybe uh, that would make a difference in how we relate with each other and uh, the people who live in our regions here in Canada and the rest of the world. Right. Thank you. And thank you. And thank you for Salt and Light for being interested. No, no worries. Thank you. Hopefully we can uh, talk about this again sometime. Um, thank you very much. I'd love to. Okay. God bless. Father Peter Bisson is the Assistant for Indigenous Relations to the Jesuit Provincial for the Canadian Province. You can tune into Salt and Light TV on October 18th for our Mid-Synod Special and on November 1st for our Synod Wrap-Up and learn more about the Synod at saltandlighttv.org synod. You can also learn more about what a Synod is by watching my very new show, Deconstructing. The first episode is called Deconstructing Synods and it's up now at saltandlighttv.org slash Deconstructing. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Marie Miller, with the title track of her new album, Little Dreams. Afraid. No, I'm not afraid. Even though I'm 
That was Marie Miller with Little Dreams from her album of the same name. We last spoke to Marie Miller three years ago. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but she had just released her album Letterbox. Marie burst into the scene six years ago when her single You're Not Alone rose to the top of the Christian adult contemporary charts. Her music, as we've been listening, is a beautiful blend of folk, pop, and country, and so it's so good to hear that she's working on a new album, Little Dreams. It's not out yet, but Marie graciously let us play three songs to get you excited about it. And to tell us more, we are now joined by Marie Miller from her home in Nashville. Marie, welcome back to the Sultan Light Hour. It is so wonderful to be back. Thank you're, you for having you're me. You're so nice to me. Um, <laughs> what, what, what is different about this album for you? Hmm. 
a lot of things. It's my first independent project, so uh-huh. I've been with a record label um, since yeah. I really started out in music. Mm-hmm. And it was a beautiful time and, and a lot of great memories, but I was really ready to do something that was creatively uh, exactly what I wanted to do. And okay. so not to think about would this work on what radio station or would this work for opening for this artist, but just to create music and art. And so uh, it just made sense to do this on my own because uh-huh. there's so much pressure to to make money really is a big thing for yeah. for that. And I'm just, it's just this is a true coming home to me. It's like, as you you know heard in the first song, it's very much, uh, there's a lot of mandolin. Um, yeah. The lyrics are very or more serious, uh, mm-hmm. and just a lot more of who I am. Right. Record. Did you? Did you? I'm very excited. Did you find that working with a label that it was there was a lot of pressure to, or or that you felt even if they weren't being specific about what they wanted, if they that you had to sort of make sure that things were appealing more than just your own. Um, yeah. Create. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. that's just the way it is because you know, as artists, you're supporting a whole company. You know, that's what the goal is, and. Yeah. Uh, even though I had a very kind label that wanted me to be cr- as creative as possible, yeah, we were just hitting walls. And so it was, even though I love the last album, yeah. uh, Letterboxd, yes. which was the last record that I did with my label, mm-hmm. it still was kind of a fight because there's copy and I like that, but it wasn't really where I wanted to go. And so okay. finally I was like, well, okay, let's do something you know, if I fall flat on my face, at least I can say I took that step, right. <laughs> you know, and see what happens. Yeah, no, and thank God we live in, in a world now where it's easier to do it yourself, too. I mean, that's uh, mm-hmm. that's so true. Why why did you call it Little Dreams? I just exactly in, in that same vein uh-huh. um, was this idea that uh, I was afraid to make the music um, that I felt called in my heart to make because um, I didn't think it could be big enough or important enough um, for the world. Um, but what I'm realizing is that each of us, um, whether we become famous musicians or popes or um, presidents of the United States, whatever it's going to be, yeah. um, is that in our communities and in our families, um, that our dream um, that God's placed in our heart is uh, unique and beautiful, and it doesn't matter how small it feels to us, Mm-hmm. Um, is that it's important and uh, that our God is a dreamer and that he has incredible dreams for us, even if they seem little to us. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And Pope Francis is always telling people, don't, you know, have, don't be scared to have dreams and to fulfill it, to, you know, to fight for your dreams, to go for your dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, are you, are you always writing music? Like, what's your process? Are you always writing or like, when do you decide that it's time to do a new album? Mm. Yeah, I'm kind of always writing. But um, I try to get music out as much as I can. It's actually been, they've been longer than I wanted to. That was another thing with the record label, is that I wanted music out sooner. And so I'm excited oh, because, right. you know, this this uh, album, a full length will come out in March. Mm. But, uh, you know, uh, hopefully then we'll kind of start working on something maybe in the sooner time uh, to bring out new music. And so, so yeah. So, but I'm always writing. Yeah. Um, because I just really like to do it. It, it happens very easily and naturally because I just love it. 
But but you set out. But this one specifically, did you set out to write? It's like I'm going to write an album, and it's going to be. Or did you already have some songs that you thought they kind of need a place, and they're reflecting kind of where I am in my life, my dreams? Mm. Like, uh, is that how it came together? Mostly, uh, it actually did come together. The latter, if you're saying like, okay, I need to now make a collection of things that are okay. really who I am right now. Yeah. But there are a few little like. Uh, ones that some of the songs I did write uh, uh, more like like the uh, song called Homeland that we're gonna play. Yeah, we're gonna play out. at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome in September that came out, and that one is yeah, that one is uh, something I wrote a while ago, but mm -hmm. it was just something that wasn't allowed to be heard um, because it was too folky. Interesting. It was too you know uh, different right. than what we needed. And so Interesting. I'm, I'm excited because like one of my favorite songs. It is, actually. It's a great song. I'm, I'm very excited to end the show with it, actually. Um, if anybody's tuning at this time, we're listen you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. We're speaking with uh, Marie Miller. She's our featured artist this week. And we're talking about her new album, Little Dreams. Um, you've been involved in a project or with a, an organization called Imprint Hope in Uganda. Mm -hmm. I've seen some of your blog posts and some pictures. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so Imprint Hope um, was started by a woman named Claire Byrne, who's about my age. She's 32. Uh -huh. I just turned 30 this year. Yeah. And she is an, an amazing person um, and is an occupational therapist that went to Uganda just for a mission trip, fell in love with the people there, and um, wanted to start an organization that helped children with disabilities, not only in a physical way, um, by teaching their families about the disability, how to treat it, mm -hmm. um, to give them wheelchairs and to um, give them therapy, but also because the culture in Uganda is that if you have a disability, then that you are uh, worthless and that mm -hmm. a lot of women are pressured to leave these children in, in dumpsters and fields um, and abandon them. Um, because they think that they're cursed or something. Right. And so she also is uh, there educating and, and letting everyone know that every life is precious. And uh -huh. I have a little sister with Down syndrome, and so my heart just really okay. went out to the organization. And so um, just seeing a woman, I, I have to be honest, I'm pretty selfish, a pretty like typical millennial. <laughs> and huh. so seeing a woman that uh, radically uh, loved um, and was willing to give up all the almond milk lattes on the, in the world um, yeah. to fight for for the good inspired me so much um, that we've remained friends and I work with them all the time. So you've been to Uganda? Uh, I have. Yeah? Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, I have, and I hope to go again. So, yeah. And that, she's actually in the United States promoting right now, and so we're going to be working together. But at every show, I sell the jewelry um, okay. that the women make at the center, and it uh, goes back to... The money goes back to Uganda. Wonderful, wonderful. Maybe there's some some good music that's going to come out of those experiences. Mm, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I listen to your music. I think I've always had this sense, but especially with these three tracks on this this new album, that it feels, and I don't mean in a bad way, but it feels secular, um, mm -hmm. that the themes are not particularly Christian. Um, but do you consider yourself a Christian artist? In that sense. Right. Uh, you know, I more consider myself a Christian that plays music yeah. uh, than a Christian artist. Mm -hmm. But I will say, uh, especially like Homeland, uh, which, I mean, that's yeah. 
very, you know, people, I talk about it when I'm playing at theaters, you know, at a secular event, I'll say, oh, this song is about Lord of the Rings, because it is. Uh-huh. It's about Frodo. <laughs> okay. But really, it's about heaven. It's In Hebrews, um, they talk about the faith that people had, and they believed in a homeland yeah. uh, far greater than the, what they had here on earth. And so it's like, okay, I love that word. The song's about heaven. Mm-hmm. Of course. I and mean, you're going to hear in this record a lot more songs uh, about God and about heaven uh, because that's, again, another free thing right. to be able to say exactly what I want to say, and, and I just can't stop talking about them. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, no, you're right. Of course, I, I heard Homeland, and I thought, of course, I know what it's about. And Lord of the Rings is has its symbolism too, right? So exactly. Um, yeah. So cool. Okay, so I'm 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 glad that we're we're leaving that song for the end. Um, Marie, so good to talk to you. Thank you for oh, thank you for doing what you're doing. I maybe I'll sign up and come to Uganda with you guys. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and you can teach me to play the mandolin. How's that? I'll bring my ukulele, and you can play the mandolin. <laughs> That's a really good plan. I like it. Okay, you can good. Teach me how to have a Canadian accent. I've a, just say a a lot. A. Canadian, yeah. eh? All right. Okay, good. That was Marie Miller, eh? Hey. <laughs> All right. Keep in touch, okay? Thank you. God bless you. You too. You can learn more about Marie Miller and purchase her music at her website, mariemillermusic.com. And uh, to listen to this interview again or for the rest of the program, go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Here now is Marie Miller with that song we were talking about, Homeland, from her new album, Little Dreams. listening to Marie Miller with Homeland from her album Little Dreams. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Be sure to visit our website at saltandlighttv.org slash radio.
Hello, and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. You may not know that this week, November 3rd to the 9th, is National Vocation Awareness Week. It was celebrated in the United States as a day since 1976, and since 2013, it is now a whole week, the first week of November, every year. The purpose is to promote vocations to the priesthood, diaconate, and consecrated life through prayer and education, and to renew our prayers and support for those who are considering one of these particular vocations. So, how do we promote vocations? Is it something we should only do one week a year? How do we have a vocation-minded parish? Earlier this week, I had a chance to speak with Rhonda Gruenwald, who is often referred to as the vocation lady. She has great tips on starting a vocation ministry in your parish. Rhonda, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me on. So, Rhonda, we're talking about vocations, and maybe the first thing we need to do is just make sure that we're all talking about the same thing. When you talk about vocations, what do you mean? So I mean what the Church has given to us. First of all, everybody has a call to holiness. Uh That is our first call. So if everybody in the Church were striving for holiness on a daily basis, we would have our seminaries full, our religious houses would be full, our marriages would be holy, (laughs) okay? But um, that is, not everybody's doing that. But the second call that the Church puts forward is to the priesthood, religious life, or sacramental marriage. So that's what I promote in... Uh, my book and and my website and what all of all that I do. Okay, I just want to put in a plug in for for the single life. What it, what it, what is the church saying about that single life as a vocation? Well, the we know that those who are single and living their lives for Christ are very you know it's a dignity and they have a dignity and they are helpful in whatever the church is doing. Uh-huh. Um, and many of them are giving their lives to Christ in that way. Um, the Church recognizes consecrated single life yes. as part of consecrated of life, life yeah. that vocation. But yeah. the, the single life, just if you say—I think there's a confusion there, Deacon, that's uh-huh. the thing, yeah. is that if you just say single life is a vocation, then people are like, cool, I'm a bachelor, I have a vocation, I'm, go- I'm done, I can check the box. Okay. But that's not the case. What we really mean when we say single is we mean consecrated single life. They are dedicated to the church in a special way. Okay, yeah, because I do think that there's confusion, and even some people that don't feel the need to be consecrated, but but are called to be single, and they're they're celibate, they're single, um, but they feel that it's not a transitional state. But but anyway, so so you're mainly talking about uh, vocations to the to the ordained life, the religious life, consecrated life, or married life. Yes. Correct. So why do parishes need vocation ministry? Well, it's proven to in different ways. So um, a newly ordained 2019 survey, so uh-huh. of all those who are newly ordained, yeah. they said that 70% of them, so 70% said uh, that they first heard the call between birth and 18 years of age. Uh-huh. 70%. Uh-huh. So... That means that while they're active at the parish is when they heard the call. Uh But so many vocations are not being realized because those calls are just falling away. Maybe, for for example, the Holy Spirit has stirred in their hearts, maybe I should be a priest, or maybe that's what God made me to be. And then that thought goes right out of their head as they go Mm -hmm. on about their week, and then they don't hear vocations spoken about in their parish, 
joyful witnesses aren't brought in to talk about vocations. Uh, they're not praying for vocations, so there's no intentionality uh-huh. for that. And so they just don't revisit it. They, and so many vocations are not realized in that respect. And we know what happens at the parish matters. We did an unofficial survey of our seminarians in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. Yeah. And found that 80% of the seminarians came from the 20% of parishes that intentionally promote vocation. Uh-huh. Interesting, interesting. But it seems to me, and, and I know we're going to get more, a little more details in, in a little bit, but it seems to me that having a vocation ministry is more than just promoting vocations. Um, well, it's definitely leading everybody to be more intentional about praying for vocations. That's the first step. Yeah. We need everybody praying for vocations. I don't think that many people no. are doing so or realize they should be doing that, mm-hmm. uh, or that we need that, that they're, we need them to pray for their own priests and their own priest's holiness, uh-huh. and we need to pr- them to pray for an increase in a generous answers from men and women in their parish. Yeah. So that is the the first step of a vocation ministry is to get it, getting everybody praying. Uh-huh. And then they're bringing awareness to vocations in simple ways. Okay. For example, um, book the church book rack, making sure there are materials there, making uh-huh. announcements okay. at mass when there are certain days that we promote vocations, mm-hmm. like National Vocation Awareness Week here in the U.S., or a World Day of Prayer for Vocations, that is a worldwide day that everybody's supposed to be praying for vocations. Yes, yeah. And then bringing in um, joyful witnesses and making sure that there's encounters with these joyful witnesses with the youth and putting in, putting it in fun ways in front of the youth. You okay. know, that we, they see that vocations is something... Uh, good and holy and and, and, normal. and, and not yeah. something far off. Yeah. That it's not just the priest on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if anyone's joining at this time, uh, you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro, and I'm speaking with Rhonda Gruenwald. She's the author of Hundredfold, A Guide to Parish Vocation Ministry. So we're talking about vocations. Rhonda, you're a convert. So how did you come to feel called to start voc- a vocation ministry in your own parish? So true. This was not my plan at all. <laughs> I had no uh, no plan of this. So um, I came into the church in 1999, mm-hmm. and then in 2011 we had a brand new parochial vicar, or an associate pastor at okay. our parish, yeah. Father Victor Perez. He called out of the blue one day at my house and said, can you and your husband come to a meeting about priests and such? Very vague, up okay. in three hours at the church. <laughs> and I went to this meeting where they were trying to resurrect a parish vocation committee, but being a convert and not hearing the word vocation in our church, uh-huh. I had no idea what we were oh, talking about. Yeah. So, uh, but that didn't matter, thankfully, because Father Victor said, this is one of the most important things we could do at our parish, Rhonda. So I'm in. I'm in. So I'm like, and I'll lead this thing. Father. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I went home and I researched and found that there was nothing comprehensive to tell me how to do this work. So we just let the Holy Spirit guide us. We started praying and promoting vocations in all kinds of different ways at our parish. And about 18 months into that work, the leadership in the archdiocese said, how can we do this all over Houston? Hmm. And I said, well, maybe I could write a pamphlet. Wonderful. And 17 months later, Hundredfold was born, um, the guide to how to do all of this. And then I started getting requests all around the country to speak and give workshops to parishioners and priests telling them, sharing with them how to do this work at their parish. Mm -hmm. So in the last four years, since the book's been out, 
I've given 75 workshops in 45 dioceses Wonderful. to equip parishioners and priests. Wonderful. Uh, for people that don't quite get it, why the title Hundredfold? Oh, so that comes easily from, we have Mark. Mark says, some seed fell on rich soil and produced fruit yes. yielding 30, 60, and hundredfold. Yes. And so uh, I look at us the vocation ministries on the ground, the people doing the work, they're like the gardeners, just tilling the soil to make it fertile so that when the Holy Spirit decides to call a young man or young woman to the priesthood or religious life, that they can easily say yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, you already spoke a little bit about some some ideas for activities or what that vocation-minded parish looks like. Um, the book, as you said, it's a guide it's got activities. It comes with a little poster calendar that I love um, with ideas. Can you give us some maybe examples of, of the kinds of things that are easy to do that a parish could do, um, whether it's an activity or, like you said, to promote prayer or to, to have a fun way to have vocations in front of young people um, and maybe not so young people? Uh, Yeah, sure, right, because we do need to get in front of the adults and parents and grandparents who many times are getting in the way of a vocation. Um, We need to inspire them, too, so that they are supportive of their child or grandchild's vocation. Um, So some interesting, easy things to do, for example, a prayer drive for their priest. That was the very first activity we did at St. Cecilia in Houston, was we had a sign-up sheet for for everybody just to sign up when they would pray for one of our priests. Okay, yeah. And it was so easy. We put out this, the, and we just created a spreadsheet, so easy to do, and it's, can, you can download it from, my, um, from yeah. vocationministry.com. Okay. And we had 250 people sign up that weekend. Yeah. So it's so easy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And you know what? That Yeah. I, I, I think that everybody should be doing that anyway, whether they have a vocation right. ministry or not in their parish. I agree. They okay. should all be Absolutely. praying for their praying. And their deacons. They should be praying for their deacons, too. Yes. Um, totally agree. Okay. So the book, uh, just to let everybody know, the book is full of activities. There's activities for the whole year, but I don't want people to feel that it's an overwhelming thing because you can pick and choose, find the ones that, that work. Some uh, require a budget, but not all of them. So some are really easy to do, like the one you just uh, suggested, Rhonda, cheap. Uh, or free to do and is just to start changing the mindset of people in our parishes um, so that we can have a vocation-minded parish. Rhonda, thank you for the work that you do and for telling us a little bit about it today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Everybody, let's pray for vocations. That was a conversation I had with Rhonda Gruenwald earlier this week. Her book, Hundredfold, A Guide to Parish Vocation Ministry, can be found at vocationministry.com. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, John Michael Talbot, with the title track of his album, The Inner Room.
like actors on a stage pray with sincerity mean the words that you say the inner room the secret That was John Michael Talbot with the title track of his album, The Inner Room. John Michael Talbot is probably the most well-known Catholic artist in the world, with over 4 million albums sold worldwide. In 1980, John Michael Talbot founded the Brothers and Sisters of Charity, a Catholic-based community of celibate brothers and celibate sisters, singles who can marry, and families. From his hermitage in Arkansas, he runs the Inner Room School of Spirituality, an online teaching community designed to lead you into a deeper relationship with Christ and his church through the wisdom of scripture, monasticism, community living, and the teachings of the church fathers. 
And to tell us more, I am so happy to say that I'm joined by John Michael Talbot. John, so good to have you back on the program. Oh, it's great to be with you. I always, I always love you, Pedro, and, and I love salt and light, and I, I love the folks up in Canada. They've always been so good to me. I know, so and you great, haven't, great you haven't, to be with you, you haven't been up here in a long time. So, uh, any, any, I'm, I was happy to hear about this new, new, new endeavor. Can I call it that? This new sure, initiative. Sure. Um, so, but before that, I, are you no longer doing music? Because I remember you telling me like it was like the end of the music. Well, no, I, I what I I'm on a sabbatical. Okay, that's good. And that's I'm honestly just in deep prayer. I I feel that both the state of our culture in the United States, I really can't speak authoritatively for Canada as, mm-hmm. as well as I can for the US. But in the US, we're so polarized and people yes, are so angry. I know. And the same thing is true in the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have the neo-trads on one side and then you have the really, really radical progressives on the other. Yeah. And I think most people are just in the middle. They just want to love God and love That's Jesus. True. And, That's true. And get on with it. But, um, you know, I, I, I really, uh, Pedro, I really feel this, that going out and going from parish to parish, I was doing as many as 150 a year. Right. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's going to change anything. So God mm. really began... First of all, I started getting sick uh-huh. and ending up in hospitals every time I go on the road. Yeah, that's not good. <clears throat> and it was like the Lord was saying, "Okay, John, you've done it before. Let's do it again. Let's go back to the Hermitage and really pray yes. for repentance in your own soul." <clears throat> and I had a couple of near-death experiences, and I came back from those, Pedro, overwhelmed by my sin and overwhelmed by God's mercy. Wow! All at once. And I I wept a lot. I would just weep, and and so the Lord is saying, go to the inner room and weep, repent. You know, get right with me totally. Mm-hmm. You know, here I am. I've supposedly been in ministry all these years, but get right. Be ready to die at any minute, <laughs> and pray if you can. If you can, we change the culture by allowing Jesus to change us. So is that that experience what led you to this whole yeah. inner room school? Well, what happened was I I went on a Holy Land trip, and I'm <clears throat> I was with some. It was rather an arch conservative trip, actually. <laughs> but I met some people I really liked, and some of them had these online academies. Yeah. And they said, "Well, if you're going to do a sabbatical, you might want to consider that." So I did. Interesting. And we did a lot of research, and I have so much material. Right. So the Inner Room School of Spirituality is a subscription school, but what you get for it is a 20 to 30 minute video once a week, mm-hmm. it's a television quality mm-hmm. video, great overlays, great graphics. Uh, it's really well done. Mm-hmm. And, and it's more like me just sitting in my hermitage talking with you or whoever's participating, right. less like standing up and preaching or giving a talk. Right. It's, it's really, really kind of casual. <clears throat> and then uh, there are some a great online interactive community mm-hmm. that's moderated by one of my community members in the domestic community who's a professor at Southern Illinois University mm-hmm. in linguistics and language. And he, he used to be a Lutheran minister, so mm-hmm. he's really, really well equipped for moderating and then I'm on there as well. Right. So <clears throat> it's, it's, 
and you get a big PDF outline of each course that we do of each class. Okay. That's really in depth. It goes through scripture, it goes through patristics, and it goes through the saints. Right. So people. So it's really really cool stuff. Yeah. So people can they just register? There's a set fee per <coughs> course, or is there's a whole uh, like semester? Right now kind of it's thing? done annually. Okay. And until we build up a good core of people. Uh, we're going to keep it as an annual subscription. There's a founder's level that's available until December 1st. That's a little bit of a discount. Uh, it's 420 a year U.S. Okay. And uh, then I think it's $40 a month, <coughs> <clears throat> excuse me, which comes out to be about $480 a year U.S. Right. And is it the kind of thing that uh, people can do in their own pace. They can just I can log pace. in. It drips, it, Pedro, it drips out once a week. Okay. And then you can go back and you you, so I can you watch have a them library. As many times you have a catalog. You can go back and view them as often as you want. Right. You can you can go on the interactive community and talk to people about you know how this applies to your life. So the first thing we're doing is we're going through Francis of Assisi's Sermon on the Mount. It's okay. my book Beautiful. on the admonitions of Saint Francis. Yeah, it's a twenty-eight week course, and then I did another fifteen weeks on favorite songs of mine. I tell stories oh, where nice. they came from, how's it, how does it apply to my life? Mm -hmm. Again, scripture, patristics, and saints, and then applications to daily life. And then we're going to go from there into a book that's coming out uh, ecumenically uh, with Harper Collins in May, mm -hmm. and it's called. Uh, Exploring the gifts of the Spirit. So I go through the Pauline gifts of the Spirit, how those work, the history, again, Scripture, patristics, and there's a lot of rich patristics on all of them. I can imagine. Uh, and then application, not only in the church, but in our personal life right. today. Are all the videos, sorry, are all the videos the same length kind of thing? Like it's the Yeah, they're all about 25 minutes, 20 to, tw you know, 25 minutes. There's, there's a limit with this hosting company as to how much right. data you, you can upload on. into a video. So they turn out to be about 22 to 25 minutes. So for example, if you're doing, let's say, the, the, the session on, on your songs, would that be one video or several videos on that particular topic? Uh, no, that's 15. So I took oh, 15 wow. of my favorite songs. So it's 15 videos. <clears throat> yeah, and Wonderful. I think one of them I did in two sessions. Okay. So it yeah. really goes into depth. What's behind okay, it? So yeah. I mean, there are neat stories. I mean, about how I wrote "Holy is His Name." You mm -hmm. know, that that I wasn't in a hermitage or in a prayerful place. I was no. sitting at a breakfast table at, with a Catholic family in Los Angeles at Loyola Marymount, mm -hmm. and they had seven kids at a picnic table, and the mom was throwing pancakes out to these kids like frisbees, yeah. and they were squealing with joy, and there was butter and syrup everywhere. It was a typical family experience, and for some reason, bang, holy is his name, came to me right there. That's wonderful. And I went out to my, I went back to my room and I wrote it. Yeah. So I have little stories like that that, that go with the songs that people really like that right. I've written, and how how really the extraordinary stuff comes through the ordinary things of life. Wonderful. The extraordinary is tested in the ordinary Wonderful. things of life. So if people are interested in, in deepening their spirituality or deepening their yep. faith, this is the kind of thing that you would encourage anyone, oh, yeah. Catholic yeah. or non-Catholic, to participate in. Uh, Catholic and non-Catholic. We have a lot of Catholics, obviously, signed mm -hmm. up. But we also have uh, Protestant ministers, uh, serious right. 
non-Catholics. We even, yes. I think we even have one or two kind of seekers who are interested in Jesus, but they don't know what yeah. it's all about. So it's yeah. a very broad throw as to who's participating, but they're all quality people. And again, we have a moderator that's going to keep that on course to keep people from <clears throat> getting into arguments or fights or going off on tangents. Is it something, John, that people could do as as a group? Like if I wanted to maybe subscribe, but do do it in my parish, for example, with a group? Yeah. Would it lend itself to we that? We don't have a group price right now. Uh-huh. We encourage, if a husband and wife want to watch it together, that's right. fine. They can register and we let that happen. Right. But for instance, this has come up with some of our domestic members who meet in cell groups around mm-hmm, the United mm-hmm, States. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, you really ought to, Do to be fair about it. You need to sign up like every couple. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then you can watch it together if you want to, but you can also go home and watch it again and yeah. then enter into the interactive school because if a whole group does it... Yeah, I know, yeah, of course. It's hard to do, it's hard to, to do the interactive school. Yeah. So, and I guess that, it's, yeah, it's an individual kind of experience too. Yeah. Um, yeah. John, that's all the time we have, but I'm okay. very intrigued about this. Uh, and I hope our listeners are as well. Um, if they want to deepen their spirituality, it's easy. Just go to the website. I'll give the website in a, in a few moments um, so that they can uh, deepen their spirituality in the inner room with John Michael Talbot. Uh, it's so good to talk to you, John. Oh, it's great to talk to you, Pedro. I have such great memories of us. I know, I know. I need to come around to, Toronto together. I need to come down to Arkansas and and just hang out with you guys for at least a weekend. Oh, you're most <laughs> I'd welcome. I'd love to do that. Most welcome. And we have a guest house that yes, we do. Yes, I know. Our retreats here at the monastery. So anybody who wants to come down, come I know, down. I know. There you go. Thank you very much, John. God bless. Keep uh, doing what you're doing. It's good to talk to you. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. You can learn more about John Michael Talbot at his website, johnmichaeltalbot.com. But to learn about the Inner Room School of Spirituality, go to inner-room-school.org. I'm going to put that site on our on our website so you can find it easily. Um, and to listen to this interview again or to listen to the rest of the program, go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Here now is John Michael Talbot with In Remembrance of Me from his album, Worship and Bow Down. In remembrance of me, this is my body. In remembrance of me, this is my blood. Whoever eats of this bread and drinks this cup of salvation, Shall not die, but shall live, shall live forever, for his flesh is real food, and his blood real drink, those who receive shall never die, but live forever. Strengthened by heavenly bread, strengthened by bread of angels, the cup of salvation reigns. Come all and receive. In remembrance. 
We're listening to John Michael Talbot with a classic, In Remembrance of Me, from his album Worship and Bow Down. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org. That's where you can find out all about Salt and Light Media and how you can support our ministry. Any comments or feedback or questions, you can send them to me via Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just look for Deacon Pedro. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour.